And good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to our KASB Live today as we're going to go through the results of yesterday's election, uh, primarily at the state level. We're also going to talk about some of the, the federal implications, and we're going to talk about what this means for you as school leaders. As you can see, we have the whole team assembled for you today. I'm, of course, Mark Tallman. Uh, Rob Gilligan is actually joining us on camera. If he makes a panic run off screen, it's because something's going wrong with our technology. We don't think that'll be happening. Of course, we also have Leah Flyter and Scott Rothschild. And off camera, but uh, with us uh, today is uh, Dr. John Heimer, Executive Director. You're welcome to send questions to us directly through the YouTube connection. But those of you who have access to us through social media, Twitter, um, uh, uh, email, uh, text, whatever you can do, or Dr. Heim, uh, feel free to send questions our way. Um, I think we're just going to get started by probably the top line story in Kansas were the results of the governor's election. Scott, we're going to begin with you, but everyone feel free to jump in. Well, I think, uh, of course, uh, as everyone knows by now, we have a governor-elect, Laura Kelly. Uh, the uh, polls indicated it was going to be neck and neck, and I mean, I think a lot of us thought it might be a few hundred if, if just a couple of thousand votes, but she did win by five percentage points. And uh, so uh, governor-elect uh, Kelly takes office. Uh, she overcame a candidate, uh, Republican Chris Kobach, who, of course, was backed by the president. And, in fact, uh, the president and the vice president made some trips down to Kansas or in this area. Uh, also on the ballot was a very well-financed uh, uh, and, and well-known in Kansas independent, Greg Orman. And so, uh, so now we uh, continue the tradition of uh, switching parties every four to eight years in the governor's mansion. I think, yes, I think we've looked at uh, essentially back maybe to the 1960s. Uh, Kansas has never had the governorship in one party's control for more than eight years. And so um, we kind of reverted back to the main for that. Um, so, guys, what what is what is the governor do that's so important? What are we going to see uh, here uh, that, that we're going to know that there's change? Well, uh, Mark, the governor... Uh really proposes. So in, in what's kind of the biggest test right away of the new uh, governor in January is the governor proposes, in this case, her budget for Correct. the state. So that'll be that'll be the big thing to watch for. Governor proposes, legislature disposes is kind of what we say. That's right. You know, and one thing probably that's a key point to talk about here is Senator Kelly has served as the rank and minority member of Senate Ways and Means for a significant amount of time. Right. So very, very familiar with the budget uh, and have, has done a great amount of work on, on the general fund side. Now, obviously, as the governor, they'll have the all funds budget to work with as well and some recommendations there uh, to work with. But uh, we'll probably you know, be playing a pretty key role in what that budget is and probably already has some ideas of where she thinks some, some key investments need to be made. Uh, that's I think right. it'll be helpful, too, Senator Lynn Rogers, who is her lieutenant governor. Governor. Uh, he is a former Wichita school board member, USD 259, and so he will be able to bring some school finance expertise. Absolutely, and, and well. certainly also that understanding of the role of the local exactly. school board. Um, and many of our, our members, of course, probably remember Senator 
Rogers. He was also a member of our KSB Legislative Committee for several years, so knows the process very well. And, you know, I'm sure that everyone can talk about, you know, what happened or what issues were important, but I don't, I don't think there's any doubt that Senator Kelly really stressed uh, her commitment to education, early childhood, picking, picking that running mate. Um, so I think it's, it, you know, we're certainly going to have someone who, uh, who certainly styles herself as very much a supporter of education and has been, and, and, and while most people, uh, you know, talk about being a supporter of education, has certainly kind of backed that up with votes when it comes to funding and some of those uh, policies as well. It's, of course, also worth noting that um, we, will, we will likely see the governor proposes, the governor also appoints, uh, and so all those executive branch agencies we're going to see new leadership in again after, after eight years um, that was really dis, a discontinuity with went on before. Mm-hmm. Governor Brownback brought in a lot of very new people, in many cases people from out of state, took very different directions in some cases with agencies, and so we're likely to see a lot of change in that area. There'll be a lot of activity for uh, uh, Governor Luck Kelly. Uh, she has to assemble her cabinet. Uh, she has to pretty much put a budget together. So between now and uh, January, uh, that's going to be a, a busy place to be. Now, for us, though, the one thing that makes Kansas a little bit different is to remember all those departments, agriculture, you know, commerce, transportation, everything, the one she does not have the authority to appoint, of course, is the head of the Department of Education. Right. That's appointed by our State Board of Education, which we'll get to a little bit later. So it's a little bit of a different dichotomy in Kansas where the education superintendent or the, or the right. lead in Kansas isn't chosen by the governor. Works, works for a, a state board that is independent of the governor, elected directly by the people. And so that's right, that is a significant difference. Uh, and what did we see about turnout? Well, uh, I, I noticed a couple of things. Uh, uh, you know, obviously voters were energized across the country, and uh, this was a very, uh, uh, a very. There was a lot of conflict all through uh, the nation. In Kansas, uh, we had 150,000 more votes uh, in this governor's election than in uh, 2014, which was a hotly contested race too. So that's about a 17 percent increase which to me is very, is, is huge. Uh, the other thing I noticed, I think there was a lot of conventional wisdom that uh, Greg Orman, as the independent, uh, because his policies were similar to Laura Kelly's, was going to siphon votes off her. And I'm sure that's, that's true in a lot of instances. Uh, he, however, uh, Greg Orman did best in southwest Kansas, uh, where his uh, running mate was from. And uh, I think in those areas, he actually siphoned votes probably off uh, Chris Kobach, which helps Laura Kelly. So a couple of interesting things. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be lots of things written about how the votes uh, came out, but uh, a huge voter turnout for a midterm election. And I think it's important that we thank all of our members and partners. Um, A major effort was made this year to get people to the polls, our Get an A in Voting campaign, which many groups were working with. Uh, So, uh, you know, uh, congratulations and thank you to all of you. It it clearly uh, got, uh, got voter participation up. Again, we were helped by very competitive races, no doubt, in a national mood. But, but, uh, but, but certainly, it, it is 
significant, I think, uh, that uh, educational leaders work very hard just to get people to be involved and participating in the process, mm -hmm. uh, and that's very positive. Well, as Leah said, the governor proposes, the legislature disposes. So what happened in the legislature? As we know, only one Senate senator was on the ballot because of filling a term. That meant all eyes were on the Kansas House. Rob, do you want to start sure. us? Well, and actually, let's, if we'll start the Senate real quick, because while it's an off-cycle election for them, as you mentioned, so all Senate seats will once again be up in 2020. But uh, down in the 13th Senate District, uh, filling the seat, uh, Jake Laterna held until he was appointed to the treasurer's position in the state uh, a year and a half ago. Richard Hildebrand was appointed to fill that, but his only a half-term appointment, had to run for re-election midterm, was, was re-elected uh, to that seat. He'll go back. But the Senate will change a little bit because other people are now going to be leaving mm -hmm. their Senate seats. Mm -hmm. So we talked early at the top of the, you know, of the show, Senator Kelly will be leaving her Senate seat. North Topeka, heading over into Wabunsee County, uh, getting areas of Wamego, mm -hmm. St. Mary's, uh, the community there. It'll, she'll be, you know, her replacement will be chosen by the precinct committee persons, both the precinct committee men and women of that area. Um, just looking in that area, different uh, current legislators that live in that district that could be eligible, uh, Vic Miller, uh, John Alcala, Annie Keither, um, Jim Gardner. So any one of those individuals may be one that decides right. they want to make a move up to the Senate to fill uh, the, the shoes of, of uh, Senator Kelly. And it's important to remember that in two years that seat will be up for election, and Correct. and that's a pretty uh, mixed, pretty Republican mixed, uh, seat, yeah. District, or at least, so. yeah, it was certainly not a. Con although Senator Kelly has done very well there, it has not been consistently yeah. a a overwhelmingly Democrat seat by any means. You bet. And uh, and then heading south, Lynn Rogers, uh, his seat's kind of in the core of the city of Wichita itself, um, right there along the uh, the Arkansas River on the on the north side. Two two current legislators that live in that district that are also. Democrat Democrats, uh, John Carmichael and Tom Sawyer, uh, both of them maybe would would uh, on the outline maybe potentially be front runners for individuals that may want right. to step up out of the House to the Senate. But of course, it's important to know that you're not required to be a legislator. It could be anybody. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, it'll be up to the precinct committee men and women. Okay. And then we'll get to some of the other statewide races earlier. But of course, one that many in the education community know, Vicki Schmidt, uh, a good moderate uh, senator from Topeka. So. Now, the south side of Topeka in Shawnee County. Kind of also southwest elected. part of the county, right. Uh, and so she'll be taking office uh, as the new commissioner of insurance, and that'll open her seat up. Uh, Representative Brenda Dietrich lives in that district, could make a run. She's defeated in two past elections. Joe Patton, uh, a more... Uh, a probably more conservative uh, Republican mm -hmm. candidate will possibly be interested there. And we've heard other names kicked around well. So at least three Senate members will be changing in addition Depending upon what uh, appointments are made by yeah. by uh, Governor Kelly, there could be and, even more. And I can't convert this to a percentage, but I guess that means that two two ninths of the <laughs> Senate caucus will be new as a result of this. Of the nine Senate Democrats, uh, two were elect. You know, two yeah. two will be leaving that. So, uh, uh, excellent point. Um, okay, but what about the House? So, so move to the House. The House. Uh, Structurally didn't change much. The Republicans overall gained one one member, uh, and so they're now in uh, at at eighty eighty six seats versus right. uh, versus being at eighty five. Uh, the Democrats lost one, but that changed a little bit. Mm -hmm. 
Democrats picked up five new seats, uh, specifically seats in the Johnson County, and then a seat that most of us kind of expected to shift in uh, Douglas County, uh, the seat that used to be held by Republican Tom Sloan, a very moderate you know, Republican member. And as some people have commented, probably the only Republican in Douglas County that could win that seat <laughs> and continue to rent it. Uh, Mike Amix, former mayor of Lawrence, won that seat pretty soundly with 70, 70 plus right. percent of the vote. Um, Picked up five seats there, but lost six seats right. uh, statewide. Um, some key ones that I think are important for us uh, to think about, Representative Ed Trimmer, who has served uh, 15 years in, in the legislature, uh, was defeated uh, by his Republican challenger from Mulvane, Cheryl Helmel. Uh, you know, he obviously is the ranking minority member K-12 in the budget. K-12 Budget Committee, was a key uh, part of the discussion. And some others. So the structure has changed. Well, it's slightly. worth, and it, and it may be worth pointing out from uh, from an education viewpoint that that uh, some of the Democrats that lost Adam Lusker, former school board member, yep. has been a school board member. Debbie Deer from the Leavenworth School Board. Uh, St- yep. uh, uh, Steve uh, Crum. Wow. Oh, Tim Tim Hodge Tim from Hodge. the Newton Board, mm-hmm. yeah. and then Steve Crum, who is a teacher and uh, married to a school board member, uh, lost uh, lost that race. Uh, and interestingly enough. Most of these were very close, less than 100 votes, 50 votes, but but that's how it turned out. And then Eber Phelps in Hayes, uh, who was a longtime representative, lost a couple years ago to a Republican, reclaimed that seat two years ago. So, you know, it really appears that two years ago, Democrats did very well in some not traditionally Democrat areas that they weren't able to hold. Democrats continue to do well in Johnson County, which is the same sort of con- suburban demographic uh, that has been happening around the rest of the country. So in that case, uh, maybe maybe no uh, no big surprise there. Sure. So no real change, though. We're just a seat change? Well, the numbers don't change, but... The makeup of the uh, ideologies probably of the body would be the best discussion. So we knew coming into this that that about six considered moderate Republicans had lost their primary elections. Uh, so they uh, gone on Don Schroeder from Heston, Mary Martha Good out of El Dorado, Anita, Anita Judd Jenkins from Ark City, uh, Steve Becker and Joy Coaston uh, had, had lost their primary uh, races. And so those seats uh, tended to move more conservative. Um, in addition, we lost three more uh, moderate legislators in Linda Gallagher, Melissa Rooker, and of course Tom Sloan, the seat we had talked about already. Uh, that has shifted. So the the perception would be that the House caucus of the Republicans has probably shifted a little bit more to the right, a little bit more conservative, though there were also some wins, some other pickups where a conservative member lost, uh, John Whitmer down in the uh, mm-hmm. Wichita area, uh, losing to J.C. Moore. Randy Powell's seat, uh, who was a conservative member from the Olathe District, was won by a Democrat, Brandon Woodard. Um, Kevin Jones's seat uh, was won uh, by Mark Samsel from the from that area, uh, probably considered a little bit more moderate than, than Kevin Jones was in that seat. So... We don't know exactly how those numbers are going to shake out in final, uh, but probably the best way to determine will be December 3rd, and they'll be electing new uh, leadership for the legislature, and we'll, and we'll be able to see if, if uh, moderate majority leader like Don Heineman can continue that post or and that was battleship. And that was the story last year, that uh, the moderates really had uh, essentially a majority to elect some leadership, a much more moderate slot, slate of, of committee chairs, mm-hmm. and I think it, it appears that we have kind of gone from uh, a, a, a clear but modest moderate majority 
uh, to probably not. Here's the thing I think we need to stress over and over again, though. There are many new faces coming in who we may not, you know, who who may not, who may be a little undecided where they are. Who ho- hopefully will be will be listening to constituents, continuing to do so. And it's really important that school leaders kind of kind of get acquainted with them, not presume we know where they will be because because that 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 group can always shift a little bit. Um, and I, and I think that's really critical to keep in mind. The, the thing that struck me today when I counted this up, if my numbers are right, and if all this holds, because remember, there were very close races. Sure. This could certainly still change. Um, there will be 30 new House members, which is almost 25% of the total House, just in this cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, we, we might, we're kind of talking about education connections. One of the narrowest victories um, was by former Blue Valley School Superintendent Dave Benson, um, who won a seat in uh, uh, southern Johnson County, again, narrowly, but if that holds, that would be a Democratic pickup. And uh, it's been interesting, in the last couple of years, we've kind of seen a trend of superintendents moving to the legislature, um, which really provides, you know, a lot of expertise that hasn't been there before. So that will be interesting. On the other hand, losing some of the experience uh, from people like Melissa Rooker, who really, you know, carried a lot of, of the weight of redesigning the school finance law, and Ed Tremor, who's been in the legislature for a number of years, uh, retired teacher, um, very knowledgeable on all these policy issues. So there's a lot of institutional knowledge that's being lost there at the same time. And Mark, that's why it's going to be so important for our members to, I mean, today, pick up the phone, hit the keyboard, you know, call the call the new member, right. email them, offer to, to meet with them because they're going to get up to uh, Topeka and they're going to get started in orientation. And if you talk to any freshman legislator, they will, they always say it's like drinking out of a fire hose. You know, they might think they have a handle on issues, but then you get to the legislature and you find out there's an incredible amount of other things that you also have to be responsible for knowing, right. not just your little, your little impact. So they are going to quickly realize that it's going to be really helpful for them to be able to turn to you as a school local school board member as a trusted source of information. And so, you know, regardless of who they may have been uh, endorsed by or what you might think they, their uh, outlook might be, it's critical for you and for us to get out there, meet them, and start establishing those relationships. That, that's right. The critical thing, I mean, it's it's so important when we may be sitting in the House or Senate gallery on a critical vote mm-hmm. uh, to know, because uh, by that time we've kind of done all that we can right. do. It is whether the whether they're taking your calls, whether they're calling you uh, at that time to get your impression on, your, your view on something is critical. You have to start building that trust right. uh, immediately. Um, well, what what do we anticipate may be the impact on some of the education issues that we've been kind of talking about in recent years? Uh, um, certainly, there are a number out there. Maybe start with school finance. Anyone want to jump in? Yeah, I think one of the things it was pointed out to me in a conversation, a former legislator from the Emporia area, Don Hill, and I were talking last week, and and you know looking at what potentially could happen with this. The key thing to remember. Regardless of where that ideology, the moderate, the conservative, the Democrat, that split is still existing, and a coalition of work has to be done for anything mm-hmm. to right. pass out of uh, out of those chambers. Whether it's the Senate side uh, or the, the the House side, there's not a super major or a majority of one of those groups uh, or factions, and so 
there will have to be some work and some compromise, and, and the, the moderate Republicans will probably most likely pay, play a pretty key role, whether they're working with uh, now Democratic Governor Kelly and, and the, the Democrats in the House and working together for maybe some issues that, that she's proposing or working with the uh, conservative members of the House for, for Republican issues. Uh, there's still going to have to be a lot of, of cooperative work. Well, and I think and I think Governor Kelly has said that she's well. She has voted for the current school finance plan, and she wants to add the inflation adjustment. But she will be facing a more conservative legislature. So, yeah, there's going to have to be some uh, some give and take. So often, uh, Leah said very well that uh, kind of the first the first chance you get to make an impact is when you bring out your budget. And so, I think the challenge is going to be uh, if the governor elect can lay out a plan to address the Supreme Court's concerns to keep the school financing thing in place without raising taxes, which was one of the things she also ran on and would would be an even harder lift in the legislature now more than likely, and be able to address some of the other things that we know are out there. Let's talk about a couple of them. Um, She's talked about wanting to lower the sales tax on food, perhaps Mm -hmm. over time. That's been something many legislators of both parties have wanted to do. The issue last year that some people felt really hurt some of of the moderates in their votes and, and ultimately maybe some of the Democrats was the the so-called federal windfall um, with the change in the federal tax code that that brought Kansas some additional money because we didn't we didn't make adjustments as a result of that uh, could certainly be uh, could be in play uh, as well um, the interest in a new transportation plan when we've basically been subsidizing our transportation system some people feel quite inadequately by taking dollars away you know taking dollars out of the highway plan to put in education trying to reverse that. Uh, Medicare, Medicare, Medicaid expansion, which, of course, advocates will say doesn't cost anything, might make money. Critics have always said, no, there ultimately is a cost to the state. Uh, That, I think, will be out there. So that budget blueprint is going to be probably very critical. Agree, agree on that, and, and we can go back to just a week when you sat down with uh, Alan Conroy, and uh, yeah. and we also know that over the course of the next three years, uh, there's going to be a higher demand for capers payments as we start to hit those those peak years of of the of the plan for retiring that uh, that unfunded liability. Uh, shameless plug: if you haven't seen the video <laughs> or heard the podcast of our conversation last week with Alan Conroy, be sure to do that. It's uh, it's mesmerizing stuff. Um, uh, uh, okay, well let's uh, let's let's circle back maybe to another issue that was out there: uh, the constitutional amendment. That was a big issue last year. Leah, where do you think we are with that now? Well, I think the fact that we have a Governor Kelly and the fact that we've picked up some Democrat and other moderate seats in the House does seem to make it less likely that an amendment will pass. You know, it requires two-thirds vote of the House and two-thirds vote of the Senate before it goes directly to the people. Uh, Sometimes folks say, oh, well, we have a Democratic governor. There won't be a constitutional amendment. Mm -hmm. The governor does not get involved with the constitutional right. amendment, does not have uh, veto power or, uh, or signature power over that. Two-thirds vote of the House, two-thirds vote of the Senate goes directly to the people for a vote to, for them. And, so, a, and a simple majority vote. A simple majority vote of the people. So uh, I think it's an issue that will continue to be bandied about, particularly if um, 
if we have some folks who feel like it's really an issue they want to die on, or if uh, finances some, for some reason would take a turn for the worse. Right. But right now, it seems like with with uh, the increasing possibility that the increase in in education funding will be able to be taken care of without a tax increase would seem to make it less likely that the constitutional amendment will will continue to be a strong issue. Which means the next shameless plug is for a week from yesterday. Um, well, actually, Friday, the new consensus revenue numbers right. will be out. That will lay out the official uh, estimate and, and what everyone, the governor, is required mm-hmm. to work from the November estimate, which will lay out a guess of what we think revenues will be over the next two years. Um, we'll report that to you uh, when we have it Friday afternoon, but the the uh, Legislature's chief tax expert, Chris Courtright, is going to be here not Monday because that's a holiday, but on Tuesday to go into details of how that looks. And of course, the, the more we can get information for how that may ripple through to the budget, we will of course uh, share with you. Um, also significant that the Legislative Coordinating Council meets Friday. They really have not talked about a response to Gannon yet, uh, and I believe in the next week or two, the Legislative Budget Committee. Mm-hmm. We'll be meeting again 14th, the 14th. And so that that is the body that will um, probably, and my guess is the great people at Legislative Research, will by that time have laid out five-year spreadsheets of <laughs> what, we, what, what do the revenue look like, what, what are we committed to school funding now, what might we have to do, what alternatives are there. So that will begin to look at the path that I think um, we, will, we will be working from. Um, and I think it's also important to stress with, with uh, any time in the legislature and perhaps with a stronger conservative majority, some of the issues that are brought up around expanding school choice, private school support, uh, efficiency, uh, consolidation, all of these things that um, frankly were issues that Chris Kolbach was raising mm-hmm. now may not get the proposal from the governor that may have been there, but that certainly doesn't mean that they won't come up in the legislative process. So I think it's, again, as you are building those relationships with your legislators, formal and informal, be prepared to talk about those. We're going to wrap up by talking about some of the, uh, the tools that we're making available uh, uh, that can maybe help you with some of that. Um, Scott, you want to talk to us about the State Board of Education? Well, on the state board, yeah, those those are pretty low key races, I guess, uh, given all the other uh, uh, races going on. Uh, we have a few changes. Uh, you know, Ken Willard, uh, longtime state board member, is uh, 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 retiring off that panel, and uh, he is going to be replaced uh, by another Republican, uh, uh, Ben Jones from Sterling, I believe. Uh, another longtime uh, state board member, uh, John Bacon uh, from Olathe, I believe, is going to be replaced by uh, Michelle Dombrowski. And uh, Janet Waugh, another longtime member of the Board of Education, she won her reelection uh, contest. Uh, Jean Clifford, a school board member from Garden City, will be replacing Sally Cobble, uh, who is uh, not who did not run for reelection. So. Uh, and Jim Porter won. He was reelected yes, without opposition. Right. So five, five five seats were on the ballot. He scared off all back. opposition yeah. on that. I need your mic back. I think your battery's dead. Oh. Just the back. So I don't think we're going to see uh, much difference in policy on the state board, uh, but uh, uh, some new faces. And uh, 
you know, I think uh, the Kansas Can and School Redesign uh, Initiative will continue to go forward. And another important reason for our folks to get out and meet those new new uh, legislators isn't the right word, but policymakers as well. You know, they're going to be representing your district in, on the state board, and uh, great for you to mm-hmm. get to know them and, and help them in their new work. And, and, and I think you can expect the governor-elect uh, to have a pretty good relationship with the state board, uh, just as the state board, you know, developed a pretty good relationship with Governor Collier. So, um, Yeah, it seems to me that's probably going to be the key there. A lot of continuity. It doesn't appear that anything in the election would suggest much of a difference. No. But I think we can expect that the board and the commissioner will work very well and very closely with the new administration. Um, and as you said, that, that, has, that has kind of been the case. Look for that to continue. Uh, a couple notes before we turn to the federal issues. Might just note, we of course will have a new Secretary of State, uh, Representative Scott, uh, Republican Scott Schwab moving from the House. Uh, and as um, Rob indicated, Vicki Schmidt, a very moderate Topeka Republican uh, was elected Commissioner of Insurance. I, I just note, I think it's interesting, the highest statewide vote total uh, went went to uh, my senator, uh, Senator Schmidt, so congratulations to her. Uh, and then Attorney General Derek Schmidt and Treasurer Jake Letourneau were both uh, reelected. But now let's kind of move from the state focus to our state federal officers and on to what's happening in Congress. Leah? Yeah, thanks, Mark. Well, for the first time since 2011, Kansas is going to send a Democrat to the U.S. Congress. That will be in House District 3, where Sharice Davids uh, rather easily defeated Kevin Yoder. That's the third district, which is around the Kansas, represents the Kansas City area. And that uh, pickup by Representative Lech Davids helped the Democrats nationally retake control of the House of Representatives. And um, I think many of you may have seen this, but uh, we... KSB leaders uh, and staff have met both with Representative Yoder and Representative-elect Davids during the campaign season and uh, touched base with them on some of the issues that will be uh, important on the federal level as we go forward. And we will be setting up meetings with all of our congressional delegation, including Representative-elect Davids and Representative-elect Steve Watkins, who narrowly defeated uh, Paul Davis for the 2nd Congressional District. We will be meeting with them in February during the NSBA Advocacy Institute when we take a team up to Capitol Hill to brief them on uh, on important issues. So um, we do think that the uh, the Democratic takeover of the House uh, will will inspire some folks in the House to kind of push back against some of the uh, policy positions of uh, Betsy DeVos and, by extension, President Trump. But we don't want to get too excited because uh, Democrats have control of the House, but Republicans have control of the Senate, so you kind of have a divided-ish government. And so it will be hard for the House to push through too much. But it will be interesting to see uh, the House Education Chair, Virginia Fox of North Carolina, is a strong pro-choice legislator. She, with the turnover in the... Pro-school choice. Pro-school choice. Sorry, yeah, pro-school choice legislator. She will be replaced as the House Education Committee chairman by most likely Representative Bobby Scott, a Democrat from Virginia who was reelected last night. He ran unopposed. But really more interesting, actually, to me is um, with the switch from Republican to Democratic control in the House is that uh, Representative Rosa DeLauro of Connecticut, who is a longtime member of the House of Representatives, will become the chair of the House um, Labor 
Health and Human Services and Education Appropriations Subcommittee. So that's the, the committee that will be writing the federal education budget. And uh, Representative DeLauro has been around for a while. She knows she knows how to get things done. She doesn't mind throwing a couple elbows every once in a while. So she could actually have as much or more impact on federal education policy as uh, new chairman Bobby Scott on the House Ed Committee, policy versus appropriation. So so that, to me, will be kind of interesting. I think uh, some, of, some of our members might be interested in learning that the uh, 2016 National Teacher of the Year uh, is from Connecticut, and she was elected to the Connecticut, to one of the seats in the Connecticut House delegation last night. So that's just kind of a neat, neat uh, story for education mavens uh, who are following federal education policy. Okay, we are going to kind of begin to wrap up by talking a little bit about what we hope school leaders can be doing and how we can help you. would remind you, uh, we would welcome any questions you might have. We always like to get some questions, so we feel like someone is actually watching this, although <laughs> we know many of you may be watching it in, in recorded version, and that's fine. Tell people uh, let us know your mic went out. So, th- okay, Thank you yeah, very much. Learn. That's good. Yeah, thank that's you for handling that. Thank you guys for being able to talk right through the battery change. Um, I'm glad you didn't have to scurry around and just, you know, do it. Do it. I'm surprised I noticed is almost what it came down to. Uh, So you got a little bit of time to do that if we're missing anything. Uh, I think we've already stressed a couple things. I want to mention a few things then let you guys say this. As we've we've stressed over and over, there's new people that you don't already have a relationship with. And frankly, if you've got returning people, maybe you're new to a position as a board member or superintendent that you've not built a relationship with, you know, certainly that is absolutely critical uh, to do. But I think then the next step, it's always important to think, you know, now we, we, you know, we aren't quite ready to talk about the 2020 presidential election, but we will be talking about the 2019 legislative session. And so now is the time to begin preparing on that. And, you know, we would strongly want, want to encourage every district to have an, an organized meeting with your senators or representatives, um, whether that is inviting them to your board meeting, whether that is doing some sort of regional activity that we know many of you do, or whether that is just an individual, invite them to your office or something like that. But it's really important that you do that, not just in a get acquainted sense, but to kind of have a plan of the kind of things that you want to talk about. And we would note that we have just this week released our KASB Legislative Committee report, which you can access on our webpage. If you click under Advocacy, go to the Key Resources page, and that lays out what what our membership, after uh, many, many, many advocacy tour meetings and regional meetings has put together, it obviously is not completely official until our delegate assembly votes on it, but I think it is a good way of looking at least statewide what we think are the critical issues that need to be addressed by the legislature. We have identified five key areas uh, addressing staff uh, through through salaries, benefits, to make sure we have qualified, effective teachers, giving all students the opportunity to succeed by making sure we have supports available to help help kids who are not doing well, strengthening student health and safety, um, preparing students for post-secondary and career success, which really ties into the Kansans Can goal, and then finally supporting effective school operations so school leaders, you can do your job most effectively. <laughs> and under each of those, we've laid out some policy issues that we think uh, should be uh, considered. So, uh, guys, any any thoughts on that or suggestions of, of what you would recommend uh, people be, be doing in the next couple of weeks? 
I think you're right. You know, have conversations. Uh, it, it, reach out to your legislators, if even if they're not new. If it's somebody you've been working with for years, mm-hmm. now is a great opportunity. They have uh, one of the latest start dates. We don't, you know, go back until the the second Monday in January. So, of course, 14th, that, the that last, puts it to the 14th. Yeah, latest possible uh, The latest day. possible day it could start. Uh, and, and so that means that there's some great time and opportunity to connect with and build those relationships. Uh, you outlined it, right? There, there's probably one key issue that will be at the top of minds, and that is the response to Gannon mm-hmm. and how that fits into the budget. The CRE on Friday will be a key point of that, uh, where those possible revenues can come from long term. But lots of other issues ahead of the legislature, and education may be kind of a, a, a quiet piece of of a budgetary action and not much more in the upcoming uh, session. That being said, I think it would be a great idea if you could get a little bit of time on your lawmakers' schedule and get them into a school to visit your schools and and kind of see what you have going on. Many of them uh, have not been in in a school maybe since their kids were in, you know, K-12. And as we all know, uh, education has changed quite a bit since our day and our parents' day and uh, Lawmakers are often uh, surprised to see how much uh, has changed and uh, the different ways that we have to respond to some of the uh, issues that we see. So if you could get them in for a school tour between now and January, that'd be a bonus. It it always kind of warms my heart to hear uh, during debate of a bill where a legislator will get up and say, well... I just called my uh, school board member, and he or she said this, you know. Yeah. And, right. You know, and, and that's it's just great to have that that uh, contact with your legislator. That, that is the key about building that relationship. You're, you're absolutely right. I, and then I think, uh, and, and at that same place on our website, click under advocacy, go to key resources. We have been posting and will continue to post some resources to sort of help you uh, talk about issues. Uh, to me, what's so critical, uh, you know, from our viewpoint, it, well, what do we do? What do we do about Gannon? I think the most important thing to do is talk about why, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. What are we using the money for? What are our unmet needs? We've put out some information at a statewide basis, which talks about how the new money received last year was spent by looking at your final budgets. You know how this year's money was spent. Mm -hmm. We would suggest those five things that I just laid out. Staff, opportunity for all kids, safety and health, post-secondary education. Those are the things in school operations. Those are the things where you can tag what you're doing. Because the important thing is not to say, well, we need more money because the court said so. That's maybe one reason. (laughs) For many new legislators, that's no reason at all. Their question is, well, how is this going to make our schools better? Mm -hmm. How is this going to serve our students better? So talking about how you're using money, talking about how your kids are doing and your plan to get it better, Uh, talking about the resources that are available. We know there's a lot of interest in this topic because, in part, Secretary Kolbach brought it up. Well, what's getting to the classroom and, you know, too many administrators? We've put out a number of things which you can adapt locally to talk about how you allocate your staff, how that's changed over time, how all the things you do impact students. But you have to show people that, and that's a critical thing to be part of those. Uh, and frankly, it wouldn't hurt, just I'll throw this in one more time, to talk about your cash balances, because we're going to continue to hear concerns on that. Some of you have made some policy changes, um, but, you know, 
we know there are reasons you may have larger than normal balances. You've got to you've got to talk about why and help. You know, if you can't convince your own senators and representatives <laughs> about what you're doing in all of these areas, uh, it's going to be hard to convince anyone else. So you have to talk about what your district is doing to make things to help your kids be more successful. And we know you're all working on that. Anything we can do to assist with that, uh, we're ready to do. And if it means, uh, again, we've 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 put on our website presentations, slides, blogs, you know, you, you name it, and you can use them, you can steal them, or you can have us come to your district and put on that presentation. I'll, I'll just even say now, uh, we're, we're already preparing some some uh, uh, a presentation on upcoming issues in the session. Uh, we've already been requested to do that. We'll have that available if that's something you would like us to do in your community. Um, guys, before we talk about some upcoming things, any other things you want to stress about what our what our members can be doing right now? Have we covered it? I think. I think, I think we're good. We uh, you know, probably the, the one thing I'd say, you know, we we talked a little bit about get the, get the A and voting. Uh, we'll see the demographic numbers that'll come out here pretty soon. But uh, anecdotally, reports f- uh, from yesterday, both in Kansas and throughout the nation, show that that more young people were voting. That's right. Uh, significant increases in number of voters between the ages of uh, 19 and, and 29, uh, or 18 and 29, which I think is a positive thing. And uh, and and a lot of the you know, anecdotally, a lot of the interviews you heard on national media, whether it was on radio or TV, uh, was that um, students in school were being challenged to be engaged in their civics, yeah. mm-hmm. and they were bringing that into their public life. And, and obviously that being one of the key discussion points of the Kansas Can Vision uh, to make our students more civically aware and, and the key points of the ROSE capacities uh, that we work towards uh, is something to continue to work towards as you mentioned, it, it seems crazy that it's already going to start. Well, and and I think Rob, month, what, we'll and what you're telling me announced. is a good a good thing to remember. Let's not wait two years to suddenly think, oh, oh. we ought to be promoting. Mm-hmm. I mean, this really does need to be part of your curriculum and and your plans and the way you think about your expectations for what what how you as a local leader define what it takes to be uh, educated uh, to be a citizen. That's certainly part of your role. So so those are great points. We'll try to do the same. So. A couple dates coming up. Uh, guys, help me if I forget anything or you want to expand a little bit more. Um, as we've said, consensus revenue estimates Friday. Uh, we'll do a webinar on that next Tuesday to give you detail. We'll also be watching other budget developments. Might just note that there's also a special meeting on uh, dyslexia issues right. here in our office. Um, that's going to lead to a report from that committee. Uh, keep an eye out from that. Uh, have a nice Thanksgiving and then be prepared the next weekend to be in Overland Park, Kansas for the KSB convention um, starting that Friday with our pre-convention activities Saturday and Sunday. Sunday morning is when the delegate assembly will meet uh, to to set formally our legislative policies and elect a new uh, president-elect designee. And then a, a real treat and something that we would encourage you to talk to new legislators about on December 12th, a Thursday? Wednesday. Wednesday. Wednesday, thank you. December 12th. Um, which will be the week after organizational meetings. Uh, we are having a day-long seminar on school finance here in our office workshop that will really be, in some ways, pretty basic how the formula works, as well as digging into a little more detail on some issues, special education, for example, which is the, the subject of, a, of an audit this year. Um, so that is one that we would uh, uh, welcome all of you to attend, but that might be a great way 
you could invite invite your new legislator to come to that meeting because it will be open to legislators as well. And then, as Rob has indicated, the first day of the session is January 14th. That will be the inauguration of the new governor. Uh, the next day um, will be the, the swearing-in of new state board members, um, and that then on that Wednesday and Thursday, the 16th and 17th, is KASB's Advocacy and Action Conference. That's our annual lobby day, so we may have a new budget by then with the new governor. We're not sure. We'll know much more about the new administration, their goals and priorities, and we'll certainly be inviting uh, the new administration and, and legislative leaders uh, to to speak to you as well. So that's, that's always a very popular seminar. This may be one of the most important ones as we enter a, a new a new administration and in some ways a new era in Kansas politics. So those are some critical things coming up in just about the next couple of months. Anything we're forgetting? And uh, Dr. Heim, any any questions or closing thoughts you want us to share? He said we did a great job. If you couldn't hear That's that, not what I said. <laughs> All right. If there's nothing else, uh, again, stand by a week next Tuesday, unless we have something coming up quicker. Um, thank you all for joining us. Thank you for your participation in our activities, and please let us know if there's any way we can we can help you do your job better um, as we move into the next legislative session. Thank you.